Part two of a Christmas Miscellany twenty twenty by various. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Part two Christmas Day on the High Seas in under sail nineteen eighteen by felix riesenberg life was not always so pleasant on board the fuller hard words were the common run of things and the most frightful and artistic profanity often punctuated the working of the ship given a ship's company barely strong enough to handle a two thousand five hundred ton three skysail yarder even had they all been seasoned able seamen our officers had to contend with a crew over half of which rated below that of the ordinary classification of seamanship thick-skinned clodhoppers all thumbs on a dark night and for many weeks after leaving port as useless as so much living ballast the kicking and moulding into form of this conglomerate mass of deep-sea flotsam gathered for the ship by the boarding-masters and duly signed on the ship's articles as a b called for all but superhuman efforts the curse is far more potent than the gentle plea especially when hard fists and hobnailed sea-boots are backed by all of the age-old authority of the sea to work a ship of the proportions of the fuller with seventeen hands forward called for man-driving without thought of anything but the work required the latter days of the sailing ship as a carrier before invoking the aid of steam auxiliary apparatus in the hoisting and hauling brought forth the brute sea officer aft and the hardened forecastle crowd half sailor and half drudge forward the bucko mate walked her decks and the jack tar stripped of his pigtail his bell-mouthed canvas trousers his varnished sailor hat and his grog remained in plain dungaree and cotton shirt to work the biggest sailing craft in the history of the world on the last hard stages of their storm-tossed voyages mixed with our real sailors were the worthless so far as sea-lore went scrapings of the waterfront shipped by the boarding-masters for the benefit of their three months advance and furnished for sea with rotten kits of dunnage as unreliable and unfitted for the work as the poor unfortunate dubs who were forced by an unkind fate to wear them on the other hand the real sailor-men of the crew were valued accordingly and i can hardly remember an instance where either one of the mates singled out for abuse those men who had shipped as a b and were so in fact my schoolship training st mary's ninety seven stood by me and though barely turned eighteen i was saved from most of the drudgery meted out to the farmers of the watch after washing through the heavy seas we encountered for the first few weeks of the voyage while beating off the coast on the long reach eastward to the azores the long hard pine sweep of the main deck became slippery with a deposit of white salt-water slime the sheen of this scum in the moonlight under a film of running water gave the decks a ghastly flying dutchman-like appearance and the footing became so precarious that something had to be done they have the bear out scoos announced as he trudged into the forecastle carrying a kid of cracker hash ditto of burgo a can of coffee and a bag of hardtack this cargo of sustenance being our regulation breakfast menu the bear i asked as we gathered about this appetizing spread 
yes the bear volunteered brendan grinning with the rest of the sailors the bear for scoos and joe and martin and fred at eight bells as we mustered aft a subdued banter went on among the men the starboard watch were all grinning and as they went below four sheepish-looking fellows of the other side turned the bear over to the farmers of our watch keep that jackass baby carriage moving now do you hear keep it moving bellowed the mate for there was some reluctance in taking hold and as scoos and martin tailed on opposed to joe and fred the doleful scrape of the bear mingled with the general laughter at the mate's sally the bear consisted of a heavy box a thick thrum mat lashed on the bottom of it and the inside loaded with broken holy stones and charged with wet sand four stout rope lanyards were rigged to the corners and served to haul the thing back and forth while the sand filtered down through the mat providing the necessary scouring agent a day or two with the bear in constant service both day and night cleaned up the decks and provided us with considerable amusement that is those of us who were lucky enough to be kept at more dignified jobs ships leaving the atlantic coast in the winter months bend their best suit of sails the severe weather usually encountered in working clear of the land and the chance of having to ratch off from a lee shore make this precaution one of great importance the fact that green crews are bound to be more or less slow in taking in sail during squalls may also account for the storm suit under which we sailed from port on our first night out shortly before one bell in the mid-watch our crowd having just gone below the four topmast stays blew from the bolt ropes with the report of a cannon we had already clambered into our bunks dog-tired when this occurred and muttered oaths anticipating a call of all hands came from untold depths of weariness within the forecastle on deck there was the hurried tramping of feet and the shouting of the second mate we could hear the long wail of the men at brace and downhaul the i o i o with all of its variation as the slaves of the ropes launched their age-old complaint on the whipping winds i lapsed into slumber with the dim consciousness that the second mate was handling the situation alone and a heartfelt thanks for the warmth of the blankets in my narrow bed a foot above me the cold rain pattered against the roof of the forecastle's house its music mingling with the swish of the water under the fore channels after three weeks of beating to the eastward having fetched almost as far across as the azores and being in the region of the northern limit of the northeast trades the captain hauled his wind and squared away for the run through the trade wind belt to the doldrums and the line fine weather became the order of the day and life on board settled down to a more regular routine on a saturday morning the day having broken remarkably fine a brilliant red sunset followed by a cold gray dawn assuring us of the settled weather that the steady glass made more certain all the world seemed ready to rejoice for it was christmas day word was passed into the forecastle by the other watch as we turned out for our breakfast we shift sail to-day all hands on deck for us me boys piped australia and the first watch on deck to-night chipped in jimmy marshall and a hell of a christmas day jimmy lit his pipe for a morning puff 
climbing into his bunk he dangled his short legs over the frowsy head of big scoose who sat with his dejected pole bent under the upper bunk board a fair sample of the despondent crowd of farmers who faced a christmas day of labor a hell of a christmas day boys a hell of a christmas day for we are bound for the bloody horn ten thousand miles away jimmy rendered this little ditty of cheerfulness as fred picked up the breakfast kids and started for the galley while we turned out on the sun-splashed planks as the last of eight bells vibrated over the ship she lay still in a clear calm like a scene by turner all of her canvas hanging in picturesque festoons from the jack-stays where the starboard watch had cast off the courses and topsails leaving them depending in their gear the decks had not been washed down in order to keep them dry and the mate himself had turned out at four bells to start the ball rolling long bundles of the fine weather canvas were stretched on the decks ready for swaying aloft working like demons in the forenoon and with all hands on deck after dinner which was dispatched in haste we had the course and in turn the topsails and light sails lowered to the deck and the gantlines rigged to hoist the summer canvas this we sent aloft in record time these old sails soft and mellow veterans of a dozen voyages patched and repatched with whole new cloths of a lighter grade here and there streaking the dull white weathered surface were as smooth and pliable as a baby's bonnet on some of them the four upper topsail especially we found records of the many crews who had handled them before james brine liverpool on his last voyage was one inscription i hope brine achieved his end and stayed ashore a date under this was hardly decipherable but may have been january june or july the day the eighth and the year eighteen ninety three bending a sail calls for the nicest knowledge the passing of the head earring must be done in a certain manner so the head of the sail will hold well up on the yardum the gear consisting of tacks sheets clue garnets and bunt lines in the case of a course not to mention the leech lines and bow lines must all be rove and rigged just so the rubbins or pieces of rope yarn are all looped through the head holes ready for bending the sail to the iron jackstail on the yard and when a sailor does the job all goes as smooth as a wedding when the parson knows his job after the labors of a busy day the ship presented the comfortable well-patched appearance of a man in the woods free from the stiffness of new white linen and naturally fitting into the familiar folds of old duds unconventional but plenty good enough the bright spars still attested to her smartness but we were in the easy trade-wind weather and dressed accordingly the foresail was particularly large with extra cloths in the leeches made to catch and hold every breath of wind blowing over the deck the sail locker was restowed with our best suit and between the coils of canvas we liberally spread a bundle of old newspapers brought out by the mate to give the rat something to chew on he remarked as we ran the stiff new canvas in tier upon tier 
one thing that frenchy called my attention to in the stowing of the locker was the fact that the storm canvas lower topsails and staysails were placed handy for immediate removal the mate assuring himself of this fact by personal supervision indeed he knew just where each particular sail was located in the locker and could go in and lay his hand upon it in the darkest night as he more than once demonstrated during the course of the voyage that night a tired lot of men sat down to supper the cold salt beef the hard bread and the can of tea came from the galley in their usual order fred who was mess cook for that week went back to the galley after depositing the regulation saturday night grub as he left the forecastle door he turned back at us with a grin on his wide good-natured face bristling with uneven outcroppings of yellow stubble fred reminded me of an amiable plodder hulking out in his dungaree jacket while the watch fell too on the beef and tack i guess he forgot to thank the cook for putting so many bugs in the tea ventured brendan maybe he's going to have to take christmas dinner with the captain in the cabin they have a real plum pudding there i saw it in the galley said joe plum pudding christmas the thoughts of loved ones far away and of those distant homes that perhaps were remembering some of us out on the broad bosom of the deep waters came as a pang all of us i believe felt this for a moment or two silence ensued then fred burst through the forecastle door with a big surprise pie boys pie he shouted depositing three tin plates on the forecastle deck for we dined with the deck as a table sitting about the kids on low benches the precious pie was cut with the greatest regard for equality by no less an expert hand than that of frenchy assisted by australia who showed us how to cut a pie into three parts by measuring across the diameter with a knife adding a little to this and then this length went three times into the circumference jimmy marshall failed to agree with this theory but was fairly beaten in the result for australia was right the pie certainly was cut into three very equal parts an engineer in the mines showed me this said australia he says pie times across the pie is all the way around mathematics is what he calls this australia was nearly right at that and the marks he made on the crust of the confections baked by chow served as a reliable guide for frenchy also bolstering him immensely in the eyes of the more humble members of the port watch that australia chap certainly knew a thing or two even if he was not the best sailor in the world but jimmy marshall's comment was simply rats after supper when pipes were glowing and most of us sought our bunks for the hour or so that remained to us in the last dog watch a discussion arose as to what kind of pie it was frenchy the great gastronomic authority claimed it was english currant pie they taste so bitter that's why i know he added with an air of finality others differed with him scoos said it was red crabapple pie martin claimed it was nothing but plum pie i thought it tasted like cranberry but was not sure at last to settle the matter and at the earnest request of the crabbed jimmy fred trudged after the galley to consult chow and wind up the argument he returned in triumph with a large tin can done up in a gaudy red label marked pie fruit 
shortly after entering the northeast trades we encountered the region of tropic rains of daily thunderstorms and of abundant drinking and washing water we rigged an old sail over the gallows frame in the main deck to catch the rain which was teamed through a canvas pipe to the main tank a large upright iron cylinder standing on the keelson blocks in the main hold just abaft of the main mast our allowance of three quarts a day per man was anything but satisfying in the tropic atmosphere of the torrid zone at least half of this whack of water went to the galley for use in the preparation of food and the rest was divided between the scuttlebutt and the water-barrel from which it was drawn sparingly for washing purposes usually a mere rinse to clean off the salt of sea-water scrub in the extreme heat during the frequent periods of calm our suffering through the lack of water became intense the fuller like many other ships sailing from new york put to sea with her water tank barely a quarter full relying on the tropic rains to replenish the supply when the rains did finally come we fairly reveled in the luxury of abundant fresh water drinking washing clothes bathing and just plain wasteful wallowing in the refreshing element with the first douse of rain all hands turned out on deck to fill their pannikins under the spouting drains from the forward house the conduct of a deep-water sailing voyage in the old days of wooden ships called for what to-day would be considered the highest type of scientific management in the maintenance of the vessel each part of the complicated fabric received its due attention at some particular point in the voyage where the weather was favourable for that certain operation so in the entry to the rainy belt that uncertain region of the doldrums where almost constant precipitation takes turn about with calm or light baffling winds we were turned loose on the job of scrubbing paintwork the work was started aft and each watch did its own side of the ship there being much rivalry as to who was doing the most work everybody took a hand in this and brendan and marshall would curse unmercifully at the job when well out of earshot of the other guard our hands became wrinkled with the constant wet the calloused flesh getting soft and cheesy while our oilskins in which we worked during the worst downpours became soaked and clammy through constant use we were not allowed the bucket of classic suji of the steamship sailor a mixture of caustic soda soft soap and water but were provided with nothing but a small tin of brick dust and a rag of burlap a rope handled deck bucket and a small swab completed the outfit add to this formula an abundance of elbow grease and the slithers of tropic rain and you get paintwork polished smooth and white as ivory a week or so with all hands on the paintwork whenever the working of the ship would permit transformed her into a model of neatness woe to the luckless wretch who by any chance marred the deck or paintwork with a drop of grease or tar about this time we made our acquaintance with the flying fish these swift travellers often shooting over our deck at night and being caught in the belly of one of the courses or the spanker a flying fish for breakfast is not bad and many were caught by the men on deck keeping a sharp lookout for them 
the mates were also watching for the bag of flying fish and whenever one landed on the poop or in the waist one or the other of the mates would call out and have a hand bring the fish aft one night a fish landed somewhere in the waist we could hear the wet splatter of the flying fins as it was calm and the deck quiet mr zirk who was leaning against the weather swifter of the mizzen shrouds roused himself and called out for someone to bring the fish aft several of the watch started to search for the visitor for we also had heard him land but without success how about that fish shouted the mate after a decent interval while the search was going on can't find it sir joe piped up the hell you can't thundered the mate there he is and again we heard a faint splash splash of the wings get a light you damn fools was the order for it was mighty dark now come quick pronto and as scoos banged on the door of the deck-room occupied by chips in order to get him to open the lamp-locker we thought we heard the splash splash again with the aid of a lantern and all of the watch the entire deck was searched finally jimmy marshall let out a whoop here he was here he was some water on the deck near the coils of rope hanging from the main pin-rail looked as though jimmy was close to the flying fish here he was again shouted the excited jimmy grabbing the lantern from the hand of scoos here he what demanded the mate coming down into the waist the mate bent over the wet spot and exploded in a string of oaths no flying fish ever made that here you and he grabbed jimmy this is some of your damn monkey shines you old dried-up bundle of sea tripe blank blank your gray hairs i'll flying fish you lay aloft to the main skysail yard and watch the stars i'll call you down on deck whenever we need you for several nights after that jimmy spent his time climbing up and down the main rigging for no sooner would he get up than the mate would think of something to do that required his presence on deck the flying fish episode furnished us with something to talk about in the forecastle and while jimmy always tried to leave the impression that the joke was on the mate and the rest of us we felt that his over-zeal in discovering the puddle of water in which his clever hand had simulated the nervous flapping of the fins of a flying fish had turned the tables my idea was that jimmy after seeing how well the thing was taking could not resist the temptation to get the credit we also harpooned our first bonita a very active virile fish shaped like a short double-ended spindle boy and striped lengthways these fish are exceedingly lively and jump about with terrific energy when brought on deck before taking this fish to the galley old smith of the other watch and frenchy and of course jimmy marshall tested the meat with a silver coin to see if it was of the poison variety if the silver turns black the fish is poison exclaimed frenchy in this case the bonita was pronounced good to eat and a great feast was on that night however i never cared much for fish anyway and did not touch it chow had certainly made an ill-looking mess of it garnished with broken tack and basted with pork fat you'll wish you had a bit of this tucker afore we had on a lulu was the comment of joe who proceeded to help himself liberally End of part two